Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Well, I appreciate you asking, but I'm not going to pretend that you probably haven't heard at least a thing or two about what I've been up to lately either in the newspapers or on social media or the radio. It's frankly been a little bit of a whirlwind. I understand from the emails that I've gotten that a lot of you have some questions about what's been going on lately, and rather than answer them all individually, I thought I'd take this opportunity to just play you a little clip from my most recent press junket, and maybe that'll clear some things up. So, here we go. Wow, a lot of people out there. Uh, If you can all just try to settle down a little bit, uh, ready to get things going. Thank you. So as you can imagine, I've got a pretty busy schedule these days, but I'm going to try to get to as many questions as I can right now. All right, uh, yes, you up front, sir. Yes, your royal highness, this is Bobson Dugnut of the Rutland Picayune. Would you mind walking our readers through the remarkable chain of events that led to your coronation? Well, Bobson, was it? Look, first of all, there's no need for this Your Royal Highness business. Please, just call me Your Majesty. And frankly, there's really not all that much to tell. This Monday, I was making dinner and I thought to myself, you know, it might be nice to have a side dish and a salad. (gasps) On a weeknight? Yeah, I know. Anyway, a couple days later, I got this crown and scepter in the mail, along with a little note informing me that I was now king of the grown-ups. Any other questions? No? Well, then, I'm going to go back and record my podcast where I talk about a comic book. Thank you all for your time. Now, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by James Satter. You can like the Titans and still make the case that the team was better without Danny Chase. Would they stay teens forever, kind of like Dick Clark? Did shedding sidekick status mean they jumped the shark? Growing up can be hard and make a hero restless. So let's sit down and relax with this synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, James. New Titans, number 65, April 1990. Deja Vu. Written by Marv Wolfman, drawn by Tom Grummet, inked by Al Vey, lettered by John Costanza, colored by Adrienne Roy, and edited by John Peterson and Mike Carlin. New Titan Roll Call Raven, Cyborg, Starfire, Jericho, Beast Boy, Speedy. Deathstroke, Nightwing, and Tim Drake. Previously in the New Titans. An indeterminate but seemingly significant amount of comic book time ago, the Titans ran afoul of Slade Wilson, a.k.a. Deathstroke the Terminator, a scientifically souped-up super-assassin who uses 90% of his brain but only 50% of his eyeballs. 
Deathstroke tried many times to murder the then-teenage heroes, including one attempt which led to the death of a 16-year-old girl the middle-aged mercenary had been sexually exploiting. Then he decided to stop doing murders, so the Titans decided that Slade was a good guy who was deserving of their respect and friendship. A few months ago, Slade helped a mysterious cabal smuggle a cure for AIDS and cancer into the country so that they could keep it a secret and sell it to the highest bidder. You know, like a good guy would do. Only it turned out that the purported panacea wasn't a cure for AIDS and cancer after all. It was a cure for not being a hideous evil monster that was mind-controlled by the secret cabal's leader, Scourge. When Slade discovered that Scourge was not the benign pharmaceutical profiteer he claimed to be, Scourge sent forces to destroy the monocular mercenary's home in the very specific location of Africa. Deathstroke wasn't home, but the allegedly elapsed assassin's long-suffering manservant, Wintergreen, was badly hurt in the attack, and went into a coma as the result of his injuries. Swearing vengeance, Slade headed to America to thwart the Cabal's plan. He confronted Scourge's second-in-command, a fancy lawyer named Walt Lanier, at a fundraising event, but Walt made the arguably lateral transformation from a Connecticut attorney into a giant rat monster and ran away. Beast Boy had been attending the fundraiser with his ultra-wealthy stepdad and reported Slade's altercation with Lanier to the rest of the Titans. This led to the gang teaming up with Deathstroke to fight Scourge and his legion of rat monster men. In an early skirmish, Donna was injured and infected by the rat monster virus. Oh no! But then Raven was able to cure her. Hooray! Then Raven and Jericho got infected themselves. Oh no! Then a whole bunch of very silly, complicated nonsense happened. Scourge revealed that he and his rat monster buddies were a bunch of geologists who found a spaceship filled with the corpses of alien shapeshifters who were probably ancient Egyptian gods. For some reason, they injected the dead aliens' blood into themselves, which turned most of them into rat monsters, but some of them into bat monsters, one of them into a horse monster, and Scourge into a xenomorph-looking mummy man who could psychically control anyone he infected and turn them evil. Scourge used this nonsense power to turn Raven evil and made her attack her teammates. So the gang doped her up until she fell asleep. Once the afflicted Atherathian was out cold, Donna suggested that since she had already been cured of the rat monster disease, maybe some scientists could use her blood to make a cure for Raven and Joey. That sounded good to the scientists, so they got to work sciencing it up. The gang headed to the rat monster slash alien Egyptian god or whatever's secret headquarters. With Deathstroke's help, our titular titans beat up all the... whatevers. Starfire killed Scourge, and Deathstroke killed a rat monster that was probably Walt Lanier. That evening, back at the hospital, Raven and Joey were injected with a vaccine derived from Donna's blood and appeared to be on the road to recovery. Only after the other titans left the room, Raven woke up and revealed that her eyeballs were totally black, which was probably a bad sign. While the rest of the team was occupied with all of these overly complicated rat monster alien shenanigans, Nightwing had been taking some time off from Titanzing. The acrobatic adventurer had had an eventful hiatus. First, he bought a circus. Then, he convinced his former mentor Batman to take on a young teen as his new sidekick. Dick had just returned from Gotham when a knock at his apartment door forced him to cut his shower short. The newly minted circus magnate threw on a robe and some tight jeans and answered the door, and was surprised to find that his visitor was none other than Batman's new protege, Tim Drake, hoping to get some pointers on how to be the next Robin. Gadzooks! 
Will Raven suffer any after effects from her recent bout of rat monsteritis? Have we really seen the last of Scourge? And will Dick be able to provide Tim with the answers he seeks? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, yes, yes, and I guess that depends. If Tim's primary question is, is Dick Grayson a terrible teacher, then I'd say, yeah, that question definitely gets answered. Upon opening the door, Dick is like, Tim, what are you doing here? Tim is like, Bruce sent me. He says that if I'm going to be the new Robin, I need to learn something that only you can teach me. Dick is like, oh, well, what do you need to learn? Flippy stuff? Detective stuff? How to sullenly nurse a cup of coffee on your birthday? Tim is like, no, Bruce said he could teach me all the athletic stuff and detective stuff. And no offense, but when it comes to sulking, he's got you beat by a mile. Dick is like, well, then, what do you need me to teach you that Bruce can't? Tim is like, he phrased it a little differently, but basically, how to put up with Bruce's shit. Dick is like, ah, that. Yeah, come on in. I'll put on some coffee. Dick shoves aside one of the many piles of detritus that litter his apartment so that his unexpected guest has a place to sit. Then he's like, so, I know you're probably anxious to get out there and start avenging your parents' murder, but there are some things you need to know first. Tim is like, uh, my parents are still alive. Dick is like, really? But if your parents haven't been murdered yet, then why do you want to be a hero? Tim is like, okay, not thrilled about your use of the word yet in that sentence, but putting that aside, I don't know. I guess I just like to help people. It makes me feel good. Dick is like, a non-orphan. Huh. Are your parents superheroes themselves? Or supervillains? Tim is like, no, not that I'm aware of. Dick is like, weird. But you know what? I like it. Let's get started. Dick throws on some more clothes and they head to Central Park where they sit down on some rocks facing a nearby carousel. Tim is like, uh, what are we doing here? Dick is like, nobody ever learned anything by asking people who have more knowledge than them to answer their questions. What kind of education is that? Now sit down and shut up. The two sit down and stare in silence at the carousel for like seven hours. Then Dick stands up and is like, okay, Tim, describe in detail everyone that sat on the merry-go-round since we got here. Tim is like, huh? I didn't know I was supposed to be paying that much attention. I thought we were meditating or learning patience or something. Dick is like, wrong. Look, Batman is going to want you to anticipate all of his needs without being given any evidence indicating what they might be. So start being able to do that. Tim is like, uh, okay, how? Dick is like, I already told you, no questions. Now, Describe everyone who's been here in the last seven hours. Also, without looking, tell me what color socks I'm wearing. After a bit of second-guessing himself, Tim is able to recall that Dick is not wearing socks. He then starts to describe the first kid who sat on the merry-go-round. Dick cuts him off, correcting some of the details that are slightly inaccurate. He's like, don't guess, and never make any assumptions. Tim is like, 
So I should act on my anticipation of what I think Batman might want me to do and also never guess or make assumptions? Dick is like, I told you, no asking questions. Now let's go. First lesson is over. Meanwhile, back at Star Labs, Raven wakes up and is like, As my totally black eyeballs indicate, I'm evil now. Time to help Scourge conquer this stupid fucking planet. She goes over to the gurney where Jericho is lying unconscious, still recovering from his own encounter with the rat monsters. She says something about blood, grabs the side of his head, and starts doing some unspecified magic stuff at him that causes the mutton-chopless mutant to scream out in pain. Which is quite an accomplishment, considering that Joey is mute. Deathstroke and the Titans, who had been hanging out in the waiting room, rush in to see what all the hullabaloo is about. Raven attacks them. Starfire is like, Knock it off, Raven! Raven is like, I don't want to knock it off! I want to murder you! My master Scourge demands it! Starfire is like, I'm pretty sure Scourge isn't in a position to demand anything right now. He's dead. I blew him up with my magic space fire punches. Raven is like, Wait, seriously? Well, I'd better go and check that out. But after I do that, I'm probably going to come back and murder you. The embattled empath teleports herself away. Once she's gone, Beast Boy is like, Dang, that totally reminded me of when Raven got all evil and grew extra eyeballs because her demonic bad dad Trigon crawled out of her bird-shaped soul tummy so that he could take over her body and try to murder us all. Cyborg is like, Yeah, I get that. Beast Boy is like, I bet she had an extra set of eyeballs just now, didn't she? Cyborg is like, I don't know, probably. As Gar and Victor speculate about their teammates' potential eyeball count, Dick and Tim are across town, watching a guy sell drugs to what appears to be a fashion-forward toddler. Tim is like, let's go bust them. Dick is like, wrong again, Tim. There's no point in busting low-level street crooks. Tim is like, are you sure you used to work with Batman? That's kind of his whole thing. Dick ignores this excellent point and is like, look, if we bring this guy in, we'll never find out his source. We're going to follow him and see who his dealer is. Then follow that dealer and see who his dealer is. Once we know who everyone in the organization is, then we can do one big raid and catch everyone all at once. The two young crime fighters spend the rest of the night following various drug dealers around the city, until finally they trail a jerk in a fancy suit named Louis Nordoff to a familiar address in an upscale neighborhood in Connecticut. It's the Walter Lanier estate. Meanwhile, Raven is poking around the ruins of Scourge's secret base. She's like, I guess that Scourge is dead after all. No matter. I will seek out his second-in-command, Walter Lanier. Now that I'm evil again, the company of a fancy Connecticut lawyer is suddenly very appealing. Shortly after Raven departs, the Titans and Deathstroke arrive at Scourge's abandoned lair. Deathstroke is like, Well, she was here recently, but she left in a hurry. Cyborg is like, Let's put ourselves in her shoes. Starfire, if you were evil... Where would you go? 
The Tamaranian princess thinks for a second and then is like, Connecticut? Deathstroke is like, exactly. Let's go, guys. Back at the Lanier estate, Louis Nordoff is stumbling around the wreckage of what was once stately Lanier Manor. As he wanders from room to room, the well-dressed scumbag is like, Mr. Lanier? Hello, Mr. Lanier. I'm all out of drugs, and I'd like some more so that I can sell them to children. Can I have some drugs, please? Being probably dead, Walt Lanier doesn't answer. But after a few minutes of this, Nightwing emerges from the shadows and makes his presence known. Nordoff is like, What do you want? Dick is like, To beat you up. Nordoff isn't crazy about that plan, so he pulls a gun out. Dick kicks the gun out of the cowering Crumbum's hand, then beats him up a little bit. He's like, So I guess Lanier was your supplier, huh? Who was his supplier? Nordoff is like, I don't know, Columbia? I I'm pretty sure he was importing the drugs himself. He was a weird rat monster, you know? Also, maybe an ancient Egyptian god, and I think a geologist or something. Honestly, that last storyline was pretty confusing and had a lot of extra details that didn't really seem to fit together very well. A voice pipes up from a shadowy corner of the room and is like, I'll say, now tell me where Walter Lanier is. So I guess Raven's here. The eviled-up empath yoinks Nordoff into her bird-shaped soul tummy and uses her nonsense powers on him to try to ascertain Lanier's whereabouts. But it turns out, Louis really didn't know shit. Raven turns her attention to Nightwing and starts eviling at him. But just then, Deathstroke and the Titans Kool-Aid man their way into the room and come to the rescue. Hooray! Dick immediately reassumes the mantle of leadership and directs the gang in a coordinated attack on Raven. Working together, the Titans manage to quickly incapacitate the alignment-addled Azerathian without hurting her. Once the fighting's done, Dick introduces Tim to the Titans and congratulates his young student on following his unspoken, implied instructions to stay out of the way and not do anything. Tim is like, Yeah, thanks. I, I mean, I probably would have done that anyway, but Raven kind of knocked me out as soon as she got here. Deathstroke is like, Hey guys, we should probably get Raven back to the hospital. I bet if we pump her full of some more sedatives and Donna blood, then tomorrow she'll be just fine. So the gang rushes Raven back to the hospital and pumps her full of sedatives and more Donna blood. And the next day, she is indeed feeling just fine. Hooray! After Raven finishes apologizing to everyone for turning evil, again, and trying to kill them all, again, Dick walks Tim to Grand Central Station and puts him on a bus to Gotham. Just before he boards, Dick is like, Do you feel like you learned what you needed to be a good Robin? Tim is like, Yeah, sure, why not? Dick is like, You're welcome. Meanwhile, in the very specific location of Africa, Slade Wilson arrives at the hospital where Wintergreen is being treated. The nurse is like, I'm sorry, Mr. Wilson. His condition hasn't improved. Deathstroke goes up to Wintergreen's bed and is like, Wintergreen, you're my friend. Stop being in a coma, okay? When he hears this, Wintergreen opens his eyes and is like, Okay, I won't. The end.
And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, if the Olympics were to start in six months and you had to compete in an event, what Olympic event would you compete in? Oh my goodness. That's a tough question because I'm, you know, canonically bad at all sports. Right. I mean, relative to Olympians, so am I. Uh, biathlon. Biathlon? Yeah, because I have both shot air rifles and cross-country skied as a child, not at the same time. Mm. But, I mean, other than just, you know, you're running and stuff, which I'm also bad at, like, that's the only other type of sport that I think I have experience in. I haven't shot put. I haven't mm. pole vaulted. I did try and pole vault once. Really? Yeah. Across, that seems terrifying. Across a, uh, no, not in the, like, a professional setting, uh, across a creek. Oh, and uh, I was much muddier than I anticipated, <laughs> and I fell in the middle because the stick got, you know, absorbed by the mucky bottom. That still sounds kind of fun. Was it kind of fun, or was it just like, oh, turns out I can't do this at all? It was very frustrating because mm. I was muddy and wet, and I had not wanted to be. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. How about you? What would you choose? It is a tough one. I think you're on the right track with wanting it to be a solo competition, mm -hmm. because part of me is like, well, if I can hide my ineptitude behind my teammates, that might be the way to go. But mm. I don't want them to be mad at me. Because mm. also, you know, they're, I guess, technically amateur, not professional athletes, but they're almost certainly in much better shape than I am and could probably beat me up pretty good. Mm. So I don't want to do a team thing. I think biathlon actually sounds pretty cool. Maybe you could dress like a street shark while you do it as a little homage to, uh, what's his fuck? A street shark? You remember in the Defenders comics, there was that guy who was trying to take over Death's job and he dressed like a street shark and was the god of biathlons? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, maybe, like, if you dressed as a street shark, then the Norse god of biathlons would uh, grant you his favor and you'd win. Also, probably some kind of, like, social media crowd favorite thing would happen because mm -hmm. I don't think there's a lot of flashy dressers in the biathlon circuit. Probably not. You could be, like, uh, the first, like, really showboating biathlete. Cut some, like, pro wrestling promos against the target you're shooting at. I like it. That would be pretty fun. My initial impulse is maybe trampoline. I would suck at it, but it seems like it would be fun and you're not going to bounce around a little bit. Is that a sport? Yeah, there's, a, like, trampoline gymnastics, I think, or something. But, like, I mean, it'd be fun to bounce. Yeah. I, I would still be bad at it. I would do really bad. But I think what I would go for, especially if it's, like, six months out, is the high dive. What? I would be terrible at it, and I'm not great with heights. That's part of why I need the six months, to get used to the idea of just jumping off the thing. Oh, that's a bad idea. But then I would just do a cannonball. And I think I would be a crowd favorite. You would I would not win at all, but, like, it would be the least embarrassing, because you could, like, go into it and just be like, oh, well, you know what? This guy doesn't know what he's doing, but good for him. He's having fun. He's making a statement. It's a really far drop, though, so you gotta be super careful to, um... To keep your legs together. I learned that from jumping off of bridges in my misspent youth. Me too. You can really <laughs> hurt your man, yeah. man parts if yeah. you're not and, and careful. And have it also, like, you get water up your cane, too. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like if, you know, you're wearing an Olympic-level Speedo, there's probably some shock absorption that goes on in those things. And uh, I got six months to get used to the idea of jumping off something that big so I don't freak out and embarrass myself. And also, I don't know, maybe do some sit-ups or something. Or, no, I'll just oh. wear my shirt. Yeah. 
I'll just, yeah, I'll wear a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be the guy wearing a, the Olympic athlete wearing a t-shirt in the uh, in the little hot tub afterwards. Plus, you got to hang out in the little hot tub afterwards. Yeah, no, I, I'm liking where this is going. Have you seen the pictures? There's some kind of like uh, montages of the faces of Olympic high divers when they're in the midst of their high dives. No, do they make like jazz faces? And there's air changing the facial the structure oh of so it's like the dogs underwater pictures kind of yeah you need to okay well out. i i know what i'm doing with the rest of my weekend yeah pretty good well Corey, we should probably talk about this comic book <sighs> okay Corey, what did you think of this comic book you know, despite it being, like, the launching of the new Robin and saving Raven's soul again, it was kind of a nothing burger. Yeah, it was nothing. In a way, it was a relief mm -hmm. after the past couple of issues that we've gotten both of the new Defenders and the new Titans. It's fine. There was very little in the comic that, like, really pissed me off, which was nice. There was almost nothing in it that really confused me, which was nice. It is called Deja Vu, is the title of the comic, and I think that's a very apt name for this. I mean, especially because, fuck, I'm out of ideas, seems a little bit wordy for a title. <laughs> <laughs> but it does seem like that's what it is. It's like, yes, it is Deja Vu. I think that's supposed to refer to Robin training his successor, kind of. Mm -hmm. But I think it is more applicable to the well, fuck, I don't know what to do with Raven now that I've made her be well-adjusted, so uh, I guess Trigon's in her again, maybe, or something like that. She's fighting against her inner darkness, because that's all I know what to do with this character. So that happens again, for no reason. I think Vic Stone summed it up pretty well when he said, What the hell, Raven? <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. This comic, I think, is part of Marf Wolfman's well-documented case of writer's block that he has admitted lasted about five years. And it is evident. He does not know what to do with these characters. Even the promise of a training episode. I was excited about that. It doesn't have anything to do with the ongoing story. I was frankly excited to get a reprieve from the ongoing story. But it skipped the fun part of the training montage, which is the kid getting good at it it is just him showing up and dick being like well you don't know anything and i'm not going to tell you anything either so um we're just gonna sit here and you can shadow me for a little while and i'll prove that you don't know what you're doing for a while and then the comic will end and i'll say you're gonna be pretty good at this mm -hmm. i love a training montage but what i love about the training montage is watching the person who is training get better and you never see tim be any good at it yeah i know i was waiting for uh i don't know like the sylvester stallone in a mountain cabin showing his abs off scene or something right. there's none of that no no you just he just shows up looking like frankly a 45 year old 12 year old he has that weird like james dean look going on especially in the opening pages of the comic where it's like i know that you're very young but you look like a middle-aged man just a smaller one it's a weird look for tim drake especially early on and i think i am still adjusting to alve's ink style 
there were definitely some highlights, but there were also some pages where people looked a little bit off, and especially, yeah, Tim Drake had that James Dean, Luke Perry thing going on, where it's like, wait, how old are you? Yeah, I feel like that's, as an artist, gotta be a little bit tricky if you're used to drawing, well, I mean, they were teens, but they were like adult teens. Right. You know, forever. And then you gotta make a kid one. There's a fair amount of that in this comic, because there's also, like, the kid that is having drugs sold to him is, like, a third the size of the guy selling him drugs. So it's like, is one of you a giant and one of you a little person, or one of, is, is he selling drugs to a literal toddler? Like, what is happening on that stoop? Nobody knows. So the other thing that I wanted to bring up, I've prepared some Manhattans for us. Mm. That's a good drink. Thank you. But I used up my Amarano cherries on those, so did you bring over any uh, Amarano cherries for me? I don't believe I did. Well, why not? Mm. Corey, as my partner, you need to learn to anticipate my needs without being told. Oh, I see where you're... Okay. This is what happened to the last Corey. I don't like the dynamics <laughs> that you're setting up here. I'm not wearing those short pants, sir. <laughs> I don't understand why Tim wants to, frankly. And I am not sure what Dick is trying to do in terms of the training. Is he just trying to, like, build up a callous on Tim's self-confidence, maybe, so that he can get used to what it's like working with Bruce? Because I don't see any other thing that he is doing with that, quote, training, unquote. Yeah, I think he hit it on the nose. I mean, it would have been a lot cooler, like, as a person, if he had been like, okay, here's all the shit that you need to expect. Mm -hmm. Now, here's all the stuff that I learned after I got through all the shit. So right. here's a head start. But instead, he's just like, nope. So yeah, maybe he's just doing the thing from like in Kickboxer where they just keep dropping coconuts on the guy's tummy mm -hmm. so that I guess he used, gets used to knowing what it's like to have coconuts dropped on his tummy. Mm -hmm. Dick is being a like, hey, here's what it's like to work for Bruce. It fucking sucks. And he's going to be a dick and he's going to expect you to know stuff that you've never been taught. And I guess if you just keep not knowing it long enough, then you'll know it. He also is maybe just gaslighting the kid. Because, I don't know if you noticed this, but when they are watching the merry-go-round for eight hours or whatever, mm -hmm. he finally turns to the kid and says, all right, so tell me everything that you saw. And the kid is understandably like, wait, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, I thought we were meditating or just I was learning to be patient. He's like, no, I don't know why you thought that. But then he says, no, so tell me what you did remember. And Tim says, okay, there was a kid in a red shirt who was riding the merry-go-round and his mom was helping him. I think that's actually pretty good that he remembered that much. Mm -hmm. Dick is like, um, actually, that shirt was maroon. Here's the thing. The shirt was blue. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I didn't go back and check. Good job on you for fact-checking. It was kind of random as I was leafing through it because I had just reread the part where he was like, it was maroon, there's a difference, it's important to learn these details, never assume anything. So, okay, you need to anticipate what things are without being told them, but also never assume anything. 
one is the other. Hmm. But yeah, the fact that it's like, no, that wasn't Maroon. You're just making shit up, dick. That led me to believe that maybe there is a reading of this in which Dick is actually trying to do a good deed here. And he's trying to scare Tim straight. He's like, this is what it's like working with Batman. You don't want to work with Batman. Don't be Robin. It's going to be sucky. He's going to take you for granted. He is going to expect you to know things that he never taught you. And maybe you're going to die. So you're sure this is the field you want to go into? If this is a scared straight type situation, I think Dick is doing a pretty good job. Any other situation, he is just doing a total for shit job. You know what I'm amazed by is that Dick was able to sit on that rock for seven hours watching people at the playground, at the, uh, what was it, a fair, after drinking a whole pot of double brewed coffee. <laughs> I don't know if it was a coloration error or if that's just a thing that he does. I didn't even know you could do that. I had to look it up. That he double brewed the coffee? Yeah, brew coffee with actual coffee. Oh. There's, if you look in, when he's making the pot of coffee, the liquid that's going into the coffee machine is already brown. Oh, wow. So he must have been up to his ears in caffeine. Okay, that actually maybe explains some of his behavior, but to be that patient and not have to go to the bathroom after that. It's impressive. It is very impressive. That's that acrobat training that he's got. Has the... Kegels of an acrobat? Is that? <laughs> I'm sorry. Is that the muscle that controls I, the? No, that's. Is that no, the I, have that? I think kegels are the exercises that you do to strengthen the pelvic floor. Is that what it does? I don't know. Is but, that for going to the bathroom? Well, whatever those are, that's what he's been doing as an acrobat. You know who I came away from this comic book with a grudging respect for is Walt Wainier. Just from a multitasking standpoint, that guy wears a lot of hats. We already knew going into this comic book that he was an oil speculator, a geologist, a fancy lawyer, a philanthropist, a rat monster slash alien Egyptian god, and now we find out he is also a drug kingpin in his spare time. Yeah, he has been busy. Like, there's wearing a lot of hats, but this is like a caps for sale level of hats on hats. Mischievous little monkeys must just be snatching hats off of his sleeping head left and right. That's a complicated scenario. You ever read that book, Caps for Sale? No. It's about a cap salesman. He wears all of the hats that he's selling on his head at the same time. And then monkeys come and steal some of his hats. Oh, he hates that. Oh, that's, that's tough. Yeah. So we know that Scourge is dead. Yeah. But I think this issue also says that despite him being so busy, Lanier has found a way to escape and I... is lurking somewhere to come back in a later issue, maybe... Okay, here's the thing. I looked it up. He doesn't come back. He doesn't make any more appearances. So all of that character building and groundwork that they did is for nothing. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, I mean, I am glad that he's not coming back, but also it does make it more frustrating that they put so much time in this issue talking about all of the shit that he did. I thought that he was dead. Like, I thought he was the guy that Deathstroke killed after Scourge died, but Raven seems to feel otherwise. 
I don't really know what's happening with Raven. She's being mind-controlled at this point by nobody through the telepathic Egyptian oh, god it's blood. It's from, from the Metachlorians and their blood. Oh, the Metachlorians, right. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Yeah. Okay, well now it makes sense. You're welcome. In terms of Raven flipping out, though, Beast Boy, when she has just left after they beat her up and she's like, I'm going to go find Walt Lanier. Beast Boy's like, guys, that was really trippy. She had an extra set of eyeballs on her head, I think. She didn't. And Cyborg says, that's right, she did. <laughs> and she totally did not. Is that just a miscommunication with the art team? Or is Gar supposed to be wrong there? And Cyborg is like, eh, whatever, I don't feel like talking about it. I bet that's the case. Or maybe, like, they are both like, well, you know, normally when we fight her and she's evil, she's got extra eyeballs. So we were fighting her and she's evil. I think maybe she had eyeballs? I don't remember. Her forehead was getting pretty wrinkly. So mm. you could forgive the, a guy for... Yeah, you could hide an eyeball and make a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they need to go through Dick's training. Yeah, don't make assumptions, just anticipate. Mm-hmm. Just anticipate without evidence. Yeah. Anticipation. Antissa. Patient. I don't get it. That's from the Rocky Heart Picture Show. I don't remember that. I says, I see you quiver with Antissa. Patient. Oh. Oh, you know what the analogy is? Hey. What? Smoke weed every day. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it's always a little bit longer than you think it's going to be before that comes in. I don't think I've ever I've never, it. I've no. never nailed that. Yeah, you always got to try. Mm -hmm. But can't be done. Nope. It's like uh, calling the gobbler away from another gobbler. Nobody's going <laughs> to... <laughs> understand <laughs> Corey, everyone has seen Vernon, Florida. Alright, everybody, here's your prerequisite to understanding this podcast. Go watch uh, Errol Morris's first documentary feature, Vernon, Florida. It's only 60 minutes, and it's worth it. Frankly, you should probably be watching that instead of listening to this. You can listen to this later. Go watch Vernon, Florida. It's great. And then you'll know what we're talking about when we talk about goblins. Gobbler's a smart bird. Smartest we got. Boy, that's the best diarrhea medicine in the world. Mm -mm. You hear tur turkey gobbler and you forget all about diarrhea and everything. What a good movie. Yeah. So I will say, I love the cover of this comic book. It is gorgeous. It is by Tom Grummet and George Perez. Big phantom Batman lurking over... Tim Drake holding a Robin costume and Dick lecturing him about how he shouldn't assume, but he should always anticipate without evidence. It's gorgeously drawn. It is very misleading because Batman does not appear in this issue at all, nope. nor does the Robin costume. Nope. I think that might be a byproduct of just when this comic came out. It is, I think, around the time that the Batman movie was just being released on VHS. Batman's still very much in the zeitgeist as a character. I think there was probably a period where Batman was getting a sales bump from being associated with the Teen Titans in some way through Dick. And now that is definitely flip-flopped and Batman is once again the most popular character. 
And it says on the cover it all began with Batman. And, I mean, in a way it did. Like, he was the first character to have the teen sidekick, Dick Grayson. And then Dick Grayson formed the Teen Titans with Kid Flash and Aqualad. And in a way it all began with Batman. But, uh, yeah, misleading cover. Yeah, the cynic in me says, this will sell more comics. Mm -hmm. I think that was probably the reasoning behind it. I have a question for you. Oh, yeah? Speaking of things that were confusing. What the fuck happened on page eight? Did Raven psychically suck all the rat blood out of Joey and cure him whilst having an enjoyable experience? (laughs) I'm so confused. It was very visually confusing. What I wrote down about that image is, if you're gonna look like a vampire and talk a lot about blood, your psychic powers shouldn't be red. Because I think that all of the red stuff that looked like it was blood just gushing out of Joey as Raven was talking about wanting to take all of his blood or something is just the visual manifestation of her psychic powers. But it really did look like blood was just gushing out of Joey, and I was like, oh, shit, well, I guess Joey's dead. And he's having a a really strong reaction, like he's broken the leather restraints that he's bound to the gurney with, and Mm -hmm. he's, like, kind of arching, and she's arching, and it's all just very intense. Yeah, he has very strong feelings about having his blood drink, which I guess most people would. It is unclear whether they are very positive feelings or very negative ones, but strong feelings. But do you think that she has removed the alien Egyptian god rat blood curse? I don't know what she does, because what she says is, I need to possess all this one's darkness, all this one's blood, all this one's curse. I don't know what she's referring to there. That's what makes me think she, she cured him. Oh, of the, uh, ra- he, of the rat monster yeah, disease, yeah. not of the creepy lemur eyes. Well, no, you can't take a guy's power. I don't know. Could. Moondragon took Patsy's powers. That's true. Yeah, I don't I don't know what is going on there. It would make some sense if she just inadvertently cured him all the way cuz she wanted his sickness. Cuz you know, she's down with the sickness. I was I oh. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's confusing if it is not blood that she is consuming, her powers should not be red. Agreed. It's just making a hash of things. Speaking of things that were made a hash of, Hmm. I kind of appreciated the little character building they did with Dick Grayson in terms of he always likes to have a very messy apartment. I've known people like that. I think I've been people like that. Because the rest of your life was so (laughs) orderly. That was exactly what the problem was. (laughs) I was just so organized and so meticulous in every other aspect of my life. Mm -hmm. That's why I kept bags of mail in my freezer. (laughs) Of the uh, semi-annual bill-burning parties. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I I will say I did enjoy that, though, about Dick. It got the comic off on an interesting foot, having that be an aspect of his character. And it was one that didn't necessarily seem incongruous with the rest of his character. And I thought it was kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. I actually was pretty optimistic at the beginning of this comic. Oh, Corey. I know. <laughs> but it's it's cute, right? The banter that he and Tim have, and he double brews that coffee. <laughs> sure. And... Tim's like, oh, I thought that people had broken into your apartment and had ransacked it, like in the movies. He's like, nah, this is just how I live. 
Yeah, and he's got a sense of humor about it, right? He moves all his papers, and he's like, ah, voila, a couch. I knew it was here somewhere. Yeah, it was cute. Yeah. And then the rest of the comic happened. That's true. Trying to think if there's anything else that happened in this comic. What about the big reveal at the end? That Wintergreen is alive? Oh, thank God. I was so worried about him. So much of the focus of this last four-issue arc has been on Wintergreen. What? And whether or not he's going to be okay. What a cliffhanger. Yes. piercing emerald eyes. Uh, Deathstroke returns to his town of Africa and says, Wintergreen. I need you to not be in a coma. And Wintergreen's like, very good, sir. I'm not. Hooray! I did not anticipate this uh, Manhattan would go down so quickly and easily. Oh, I assumed that it would, but I shouldn't have. Man, we're going to be the worst. Partners to Batman. Yep. In so many ways. Now there's a there's a fun twist on it. It's like two lovable fuck ups. Bruce Wayne just being so mad all the time. You would be so mad. <laughs> and I mean you take orders and directions so well too. Mm-hmm. So. It's one of my defining characteristics. Yeah, yeah yes. that, that would go great. Uh-huh. And my attention span? Mm-hmm. Both of our coordination. Oh yeah. So as you said, it is very much a nothing burger of an issue. There really didn't seem to be any reason that Deathstroke needed to be involved in this particular story. Yeah, It seemed no. like they were going to do something with him and Joey maybe having he, some resolution. He played a pivotal role in distracting Bad Raven by shooting at her feet with his pole. Oh. Shoots the things. Right. There wasn't anybody else on the team who could have done that. Nope. You needed a guard to flap around like a bird. Sure. You needed star bolts from starfire mm-hmm. you needed a sonic blast from cyborg yep and he needed the you know like in the western movies that dance like he was like, right, shooting at her right. feet yeah need all those right that's when you're putting together a party that's who you need you need a flappy guy you need a star bolt lady yep you need a sound system sound system and you need a cowboy yeah everybody knows that it's the five genders probably be something else that'll come up in the minutia. If not, this will be an uncharacteristically short episode. You ready to move into the minutia? Let's do it. All right. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. You know what I realized recently? Hmm. I'm not getting you any more IPAs when we're recording. Why's that? Because the bitterness makes you pucker your mouth more and I have to edit out more mouth sounds. Oh, really? Yeah. You make more mouth sounds when you drink uh, bitter beer. That's why I got you the Montauk this time. I thought that was leftover from my mistaken. It is, but I mean out of the fridge because I had some IPAs in there too. Oh, you sneaky Pete. Who would you say is the sneakiest Pete? Mm. Pete Postlethwaite? I don't know who that is. Me either. That's how sneaky he is, but I know his name. Yeah, let's go with that guy. Yeah, he seems pretty stealthy. Uh-huh. Can't think of any other Pete's except for Peter Parker. Pete Rose. Oh, but he wasn't sneaky. No. He was bad at being a sneak. Yeah, it's a bad yeah. example. Yeah. I think he did steal a lot of bases, though. Oh. So maybe he was a sneaky Pete. Peter Parker? Sure. 
A spectacular spider ham. Incredible. Well, spectacular. Oh. You're thinking of the Hulk. Oh, yeah. Peter... Townsend? Pete Townsend? I think he might be a creep, but not necessarily a sneak. Mm. Oh, Peter Lorre. Oh, Peter Lorre seemed sneaky. Mm. He was a bit too overtly, like, sinister to be really sneaky. Mm. But I think he was a pretty good... He's probably the sneakiest, Pete. There we go. Unless it is Pete Postlethwaite, who neither of us know who he is. It's probably him. Hmm. Corey, what category do you feel like starting off with? Let's talk about clothing. Okay. Sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion in this comic caught your attention? Let's start with a, I don't know, three-quarter scale human that bought the drugs, that had the purple mullet, uh-huh. and the matching slacks and vest. It's a hell of a look. On a strange little toddler who loves drugs. <laughs> what kind of drugs? We don't know. Just drugs. Yeah. The kind that come in gift card envelopes. It is unclear what kind of drugs were being sold. They did come in tiny little envelopes, which you appreciate the branding. Mm-hmm. There is a scene that will come up later with the drug distribution that I found pretty interesting. One of the people that was one of the drug middlemen had that Dr. Zayas look with the uh, beard but no mustache that just never looks quite right unless you happen to be an orangutan doctor on the planet of the apes. Most of the fashion that I noticed had to do with our good friend Dick Grayson. What a hat. It's a great longshoreman hat. I appreciated that. Every other aspect of his fashion had strange choices around layering, I felt like. Hmm. In the last issue, we see that he is just out of the shower, runs to the door to greet Tim. In this issue, we see that as he has done that, he has thrown on a robe, which we saw last issue, but he has also thrown on a pair of jeans. Tight jeans. Tight jeans while he is wet out of the shower. Nothing like a pair of tight jeans fresh out of the shower. And then he puts those on. You know what he doesn't put on? Any socks. We see that he is not wearing socks. That is one of the things that he asked Tim to notice about what he is wearing. So he's wearing sneakers with no socks, jeans that he put on while he was wet. He's going to have a a rash. He's going to have at least some chafing, I would imagine. It's going to smell bad. He's going to smell really bad, especially because under his longshoreman outfit, he is wearing... His full Nightwing costume. And then, like, what looks like a breakaway suit that he's wearing. And then the Longshoreman's beanie. It is just strange choices that he is making throughout this comic in terms of layering. I also was a little bit confused at first. It looked like he had a bathrobe that had a fleece collar. Yeah. And I was like, but I think that is just a towel that he had draped around his neck. There are a couple of scenes in which it looks like that's what's happening. Oh. And then there are a couple of scenes in which it looks like, oh, he's got like a nice, like, fluffy, almost boa type collar on his That's what I was bathroom. thinking. It was like one of those, like, uh, how do you describe that? Like a, either a, like a sexy lady or like a... Or Ric Flair. Or Rick, <laughs> like a sexy Ric Flair lady. Yeah. Uh, well, that would be uh, Ric Flair's daughter, Charlotte Flair, who wears similar robes. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. She's a wrestle person, too. Mm-hmm. She's very good at it. That's nice. Yeah. Woo!
let's talk about the art. Corey, what was your favorite panel in this comic? I think my favorite panel is probably page 11. I called it Raven Blast. Hmm. And it's uh, Raven getting blasted by Starfire and Borgie. Right. Sends her back to her other dimension for a second. Pretty intense. Yeah, pretty good. It did seem like that fight sequence in general went on a little bit longer than I would have thought. Maybe the result of having a writer's block and just being like, well, got to fill out a certain amount of pages, so... I don't know, three, four-page fight scene with Raven? Yeah, we already got three pages of Dick making coffee, so... <laughs> yeah, but it is a nice panel. You see them kind of shredding the silhouette of her bird-shaped soul tummy that is menacing them, and uh, it looks pretty tattered. You can see that it's hurting her, causes her to say, Azar! It's funny, she says that so much that it's like uh, when people... Say something blasphemous like, Jesus! Mm -hmm. Or one of those. You know, because that's how people usually say that. Right? right. I don't go to church all that much. Uh -huh. But, like, when my grandparents would take me on Easter or whatever, I remember the priest mostly standing up front mm -hmm. and saying, uh, Jesus! And then Jesus would be like, Shazam! <laughs> oh, no, wait, I'm thinking of Gomer Pyle. I mix him and Jesus up all the time. Oh, my goodness. When the sergeant's yelling at Jesus and making him clean the whole floor with a fucking toothbrush. Yeah, but you, it's, it's like Gomer Pyle being channel, channeling Bootsy Collins. <laughs> the way you said that. What, the Shazam? Yeah. How does Bootsy Collins say Shazam? Say it the way you just said it. Shazam! Yeah. That's Bootsy Collins. You are a funky no. man. <laughs> Bootsy Collins says more of a twinkle twinkle bobble. Very similar. If he were Corey, to say Shazam, it would be like that. Do you think Bootsy Collins should play Gomer Pyle in the reboot? The inevitable reboot of Gomer Pyle. <laughs> it's probably the only reason I would see it. Gomer Pyle, are you a star? Twinkle twinkle bobble bobble. Shazam! <laughs> My favorite panel is one that I alluded to briefly earlier. It is a montage scene that I call Drug Montage Where Dr. Zayas Sells Steve McQueen Some Gift Cards. Oh, yeah, yeah, I could see the Steve McQueen angle. Well, it's a scene, I almost brought it up in the fashion, but yeah, whoever Dr. Zayas wearing a trench coat is selling the gift cards to is smoking and wearing a very tight tactical turtleneck. Kind of Steve McQueen looking, and then maybe I was influenced by the fact that there's a muscle car as part of the montage. Mm. Uh, Steve McQueen appears to bring a box of donuts to a guy with a big desk, so that's nice. I think that guy with a desk might be a guy that we find out later is named... What was it, Corey? Oh, Louis Nordoff. Yeah, Louis Nordoff. Like Louis Nordoff is uh, getting some donuts. No, 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 no. Big box he's of pastries. A, he's a little man. He doesn't get a big desk like that. I think the desk might just look bigger because he's a little man. It's probably a regular sized desk. Oh, Louis. <laughs> yeah. I love that when Louis has the fight, he says, I'm armed. Like, you know, it's like a de-escalation, I felt like. Not a threat. I feel like it would be... More of a de-escalation if it wasn't preceded by, you idiot. Tough to de-escalate a situation while calling somebody an idiot. I forgot about that part. That's a good point. You're an idiot, man. I'm armed. What about that is not de-escalating <laughs> you? Go away. Mm, and it clearly doesn't de-escalate things because uh, 
It leads to a WAP. <laughs> and the following panel, uh, Dick kicks the uh, gun out of Louis Nordoff's uh, hand, and it makes the noise. WAP! WAP. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I like the montage panel where Dr. Zayas sells Steve McQueen some gift cards. Pretty good. Yeah. Any other panels you wanted to talk about? I did like the whole kind of series of, I think it was like three pages of Dick's messy apartment and him just hanging out in the kitchen, making coffee. Double brewing the coffee. Double brewing. Yeah. The camera, as it were, is moving around a lot. Kind of cinematic. You get to see some, you know, angle like from the ceiling and different stuff like that. It was good. Yeah. That's something that Tom Grummet, I think, consistently does pretty well, is uh, work with, like, Dutch angles and stuff like that in his panel layouts, and uh, it does a nice job there. Kind of adds to the feeling of chaos of the apartment. Mm. Corey, were you able to find any timestamps in this comic book? The only one that really stood out to me was that Tim's got uh, Velcro shoes that reminded me of the 80s certainly reminded me of my childhood i had a heck of a time learning to tie my shoes i gotta say i wore velcro shoes as much as possible through i gotta say third fourth grade which was where i really got the hang of shoe tying mm. it's tricky i'm not good with knots knots are tough yeah i think that's a pretty decent timestamp. i had a couple i think the fact that it seemed normal or quasi-normal that Dick would wear sneakers with no socks. I, I remember that being a thing with penny loafers. You weren't supposed to wear socks with them. So stinky. People were idiots. See, I'm dis- de-escalating the situation. <laughs> Are you armed? Shit, what? <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, I, f- I feel like the 80s, early 90s was the last time that, like, you would see people consistently wearing shoes with no socks, and people weren't just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I think it's a thing now, too, but now we, now we have little socks that hide under the shoe Right, line. so you are wearing socks. It yeah. just looks like you're not wearing socks. Yes. Much better. Oh, yeah. We also have the cover. I think the cultural cachet that Batman had in 1990 is maybe the highest it's ever been, at least since the 60s and the initial Batmania from the Adam West TV show. Having that kind of cover on an otherwise relatively unrelated to Batman issue to boost sales. You'd probably still see it from time to time, but I think that was probably the height of it. Mm -hmm. But my favorite timestamp that I found is kind of an esoteric one, and is also from a piece of the back material of the comic books. It's in the letter column. There's a letter that says, People, Jesus, I got so excited while reading New Titans number 61 that I almost put on the old Robin Duds. It's a letter by Lon Wolf. That's not the timestamp. The timestamp is the response to that, in which I believe probably the assistant editor is doing the letters page at this time, so that would have been John Peterson. Says, yeah, you and Colin Quinn. Who's that? Colin Quinn is a comedian. You might remember him from doing the weekend update on Saturday Night Live for a while in the late 90s. Mm. He was, I think, the sidekick on the show Remote Control on MTV, the game show. Mm. But in 1989, he did a half-hour MTV comedy special called Going Back to Brooklyn. And 
for 45 seconds of that half-hour comedy special, he did a parody of Do the Right Thing, where he dressed as Robin. And that got referenced in the letters page of this comic book. Like the Spike Lee movie? Yeah. It was, I think, Do the Robin thing, where he was dressed as Robin, and he went into a pizzeria and said, why don't you have any pictures of the 1966 Batman TV show on the wall of this pizzeria? Oh, boy. It was a weird thing. It was co-written by a very young Ben Stiller, who played his agent in the comedy special. I watched some clips from it. And it was followed by Colin Quinn, who you still don't know who he is as a person. Nope. As a very deadpan delivery. I, I do occasionally find him very funny. He played the dad in Trainwreck, the uh, Amy Schumer movie. I think you would recognize him. But if you did recognize him, you would know how strange and uncomfortable it is to see him do a full-length parody of LL Cool J's Going Back to Cali as Going Back to Brooklyn while wearing a Kangol hat. Oh. Yeah, it was awkward. Mm. But that was something that happened in 1989, and I think it is kind of telling as a timestamp that even at the height of Batmania, comic books at that point were still pretty underrepresented in other media, to the point where that 45-second parody in an MTV comedy special was notable enough that the editor of this book would have wanted to call it out and mm. wanted to bring attention to it. I remember, like, watching Roseanne and it being a big deal that, like, David was reading a comic book in, like, one scene, mm -hmm. you know? It's interesting to think of that in light of how very, very mainstream comic-derived media is right now that is a heck of a timestamp. i mean it's no velcro shoes but no velcro shoes are good. also still pretty good but yeah uh yeah just having him call out colin quinn when i looked at it i was like wait a minute was colin quinn on saturday night live then he wasn't until 96 hmm. 95 96 that's when he took over the weekend update from i think norm mcdonald okay i know who that is but it was just very odd for me to see it, it called out and just be like wait in 1990? Would anybody have even known? And then I was like, oh, wait, I think he was on, like, remote control back then. And, yeah, I looked at that and seeing just a very, very young Ben Stiller, who I guess helped co-write the comedy special, and was not as big a name as Colin Quinn at the time. Wow. Was really interesting to me. Time machine. I think at that point, Ben Stiller's only film credit might have been the movie Next of Kin, in which he played a scumbag mob informant in a Patrick Swayze movie where Liam Neeson played his younger brother who was Southern. <laughs> Have you ever seen that movie? No, it sounds like fun. We should absolutely watch that movie. Spoiler alert for Next of Kin. There is a scene in which a guy gets murdered because he is chased onto a school bus filled with snakes. What? By a pack of dogs. What? Pack of dogs, uh, led by one of Patrick Swayze's other kin. His southern family ends up fighting the mob in Chicago, and they chase a mafia guy onto a school bus filled with snakes to murder him. So Appalachian ingenuity. Yep. <laughs> Got to appreciate it. It really bespeaks a can-do attitude. Mm -hmm. hmm. Who is your president of the drama club this issue? Oh, I don't know. Mm, 
Raven? Yeah, she's pretty dramatic. With the whole pretending to drink Joey's blood type thing. Big freak out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Did you have other reasons than her generally just freaking out a bunch? No, I, I thought that was pretty consistent and over the top. She was indeed pretty over the top. I went with a different choice. I went with Dick, actually. For a scene at the end, after they have taken out Raven, Deathstroke is like, hey, you should probably take her to the hospital. So Starfire scoops Raven up in her arms and flies off. And Dick says, in that case, fill me in later. Let's move. And you see him sprinting out the door. Why? Why has he got to run? He's not carrying her. He's going to meet them up at the hospital later, but he's going to like, what, sprint outside and then wait to catch a taxi? I guess he's probably going to jump on his motorcycle, but why does he need to get to the hospital so fast? Oh, Hub, I think he's just concerned about his buddy. Right, but he's not taking her to the hospital. Starfire is. Well, she flies fast. Yeah, but what's he going to do? Oh, I don't know, He just wants to meet them there in time? Yeah. Look, inside the apartment, chaos reigns. (laughs) Outside the apartment, you're going to be punctual. I guess that's fine. I still took him as my choice. It reminded me of, there used to be a guy who lived in my old apartment complex who only had one speed of perambulation, which was full sprint. And so I would see him often, like he always looked like he was late for something, but like I would see him outside the apartment, get down the stairs, and then he would just like, he ran like a little kid. You know how little kids run? Was that the cheese and ketchup guy? Yes, it was the same guy who liked to eat, and I know this because he would eat them in the hallway, open-faced sandwiches that were like slice of bread, three-quarter inch slab of yellow cheddar cheese, pool of ketchup on top. But I would see him leaving the apartment, and he would be sprinting. And then I would see him five minutes later waiting for the bus. Maybe you missed the bus. Maybe that is the case. In any event, it struck me as a very dramatic thing for Dick to do. To run when you don't need to run. Or to eat such a weird sandwich. Okay, Dick wasn't eating that sandwich, to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) He's running like that. Could be. My backup choice for president of the drama club? Wintergreen. For faking a coma until he had a good entrance line. Ooh. Yeah, that takes some wherewithal. It's a lot of commitment to the bit. But you see, Deathstroke pulls up in his helicopter at the hospital in the town of Africa. The doctor says, he's still in a coma, Mr. Wilson. I'm sorry. He goes inside, says, Wintergreen, you saved my life too many times for me to let you off this easily. I need you, old friend. I truly need you. And as soon as he hears that, Wintergreen opens his eyes and says, Sentimentality, sir, it doesn't become you. Please, for my sake, don't make a habit of it. It's a good line. Makes you wonder how long he was waiting to oh, use no, it. Oh no, that's been in his pocket for a minute. Uh-huh. He's like, oh, I'd really like to eat some solid foods, but I guess it's intravenous for me. I need to make a good entrance. Gotta use my zinger. Mm-hmm. So that is why he is my backup for president of the drama club. Good choice. Thank you. Every issue of a Titans comic has a Beast Boy, the worst of Teen Titans until Danny fucking Chase showed up, and also an Aqualad, the greatest of Titans. In this issue, who did you have as your Aqualad, and who did you have as your Beast Boy? Despite 
his mm, questionable methods of teaching. <laughs> oh, no. I went with Dick. He got the job done. That, that <laughs> Tim is going to become a good Robin. And his leadership, essentially, is what enabled the team to save Raven. Okay, he did a good job leading the team when he returned to it. But... The, I don't like your tone. You're like, Corey, I know you're upset. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be reasonable, Corey. I reserve the right to be unreasonable. Is that a me quote? Yeah. That's a good one, man. <laughs> I actually had Dick as my beast boy. What? Bad teacher, no socks. Yeah, the no socks thing <laughs> is pretty gross. And for me, the clincher was the fact that that jacket was blue. <laughs> the fact that he was gaslighting Tim to that extent that he was like, uh, actually, that jacket wasn't red. It was maroon. He's like, you're just making shit up. This is a dick move on his part. Which, I mean, is fitting wow. because he is dick. Yeah. And uh, also unrelated, but it did crack me up when Starfire again says in this issue at one point, we, we need, need dick. dick. Mm -hmm. wow. But yeah, he was my choice for my beast boy. It's not often that we have a opposites bill like that. Mm -hmm. Conversely, my Aqualad was Tim. I feel like he did a good job of brown-nosing Beast Boy <laughs> to placate him. At one point, uh, Beast Boy's like, uh, Oh no, another kid! Fuck, we just got rid of Danny fucking Chase! What the fuck, man? Understandable. Understandable sentiment. But Tim is able to defuse that situation by being like, Wait a minute, are you Gar Logan? The Gar Logan? I'm a big fan. I've been working with Batman lately, and uh, I feel like he could learn a thing or two from you, Beast Boy. And Beast Boy's like, I like this kid, he's great. Yeah, very smooth. Mm -hmm. So I think he did a good job of that. But mostly, I really appreciated when they are discussing his motivation for wanting to fight crime. It's in the opening pages, and Dick is kind of teasing him. Have some deep-seated need to help lost puppies and crying babies, Tim. And Tim says, and old women trying to cross the street, too. Yeah, I guess I do like helping people. I feel good about myself when I do it. I love the idea of a hero who isn't driven by darkness and isn't acting out some kind of sociopathy or some, like, deep-seated, like, need to inflict violence on people. He's not seeking revenge. He's not trying to cure himself. He's not trying to fix himself. It isn't because criminals killed his parents. He just, it makes him feel good to do good things. And I think that's a lot closer to Dick's motivation than it is to Batman's. Like, that's what I always really liked about Dick as a character. Yeah, I mean, criminals did kill his parents, but he's not the Dark Knight. He's not this grim and gritty character who has no choice but to do what he does. He fights crime because he's good at it, and he likes doing it, and he thinks it's making a difference. And to see Tim cut from that mold, he's one of the few teen heroes who isn't an orphan at this point. Mm -hmm. And I like it. Yeah, I like that too. And it fits with the reality, right? Like, you do get a kind of dopamine hit when you, I don't know, you let somebody in in traffic or whatever that you didn't have to do. And mm -hmm. It's so funny how we, we often do that. And you're like, oh, man, that felt pretty good. But we don't do it all the time. It's not our default. So it's nice to uh, see a character who that, I guess, is the default. Like, that's their whole motivation is, hey, helping people feels pretty good. Yeah. 
Who'd you have as your Beast Boy? I went with uh, Beast Boy. All he does in this issue is flap around like some... I'm sorry, I'm going to say it, a stupid bird. <laughs> and uh, says that they should get a maid to clean up a mess. That's all he does. Yeah, well, he's a rich and an occasional bird. Ooh. So I think those are good reasons to vote him as the worst. Thank you. He is also very, very susceptible to flattery, is his other characteristic that he displays in this comic. Which, relatable, but not necessarily the best characteristic. I don't know, I might need more practice at, you know, not being susceptible to flattery. Why don't you give it a shot? <laughs> so put it on. <laughs> ah. I... Do you really think I don't have a hard time? I have such an aversion to even being pretend manipulating. <laughs> but Corey... Corey? Yes? Give me that beer, you big handsome galoot! Okay. Now see? You were susceptible. Yeah, that's true. That's also not a very good beer. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Corey? Yeah? Let's have ourselves a Battle of the Names. Mm. Smoke weed every day. <laughs> Corey, what band names were you able to find in the text of this comic book? I found a, f I, a few, but I don't really have good feelings about any of them. I don't really either. This was a tough one. I was mm. surprised at how difficult this was. And some of the ones that I thought I found were actual band names already. That happened to me, too. Yeah. What were the ones that you found that were actual band names already? What is it that Dick says about his apartment? Con controlled? No. Something chaos? Chaos reigns. Chaos rules. Rules. Yeah. Yeah, chaos rules was one of them that I found, mm. too, that I was like, oh. Yeah, I guess it makes sense that it is. But I feel like there were two or three others that I was like, that eh, probably is one, but they all were. Mm -hmm. I ended up coming up with two of them. One is similar to Chaos Rules. I had Certifiable Mess. Oh, yeah. That's pretty good. It's okay. What do they uh, sound like? Kind of disjointed. They're all over the place. <laughs> it's a little bit of a cop-out, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh-huh. How about yourself? Uh, I'm gonna take two then also to, to keep it tight. The first one is... I think these guys are decidedly emo and they are the shattered past Ooh, that was one that i didn't even look up because i assumed that was already a band no? i think it's a song and it's a a record but it's not a band hmm my other one is also the name of a record so blue the sky oh which is apparently the name of a duran duran compilation so i think they are probably a duran duran cover band that's fair but maybe the twist on them is they all dress like Duran Duran from the movie Barbarella. Oh, that's cute. What was your other band name? The other band name that I will go with is... I think they're probably a, a new metal or maybe like a metal like veering towards pop music or trying to. Mm -hmm. And they're called Fire Burns In Me. Fire Burns In Me is pretty good. Mm -hmm. 
you know, very earnest. Mm. Yeah, those guys like, are always just... going to camp. Eh? Because of the fire. Because they're earnest. Ernest goes to camp. Yeah. But at camp, you would make fire. So, yeah, it, uh, it all ties together. Oh, you're amazing. Very cohesive pun. Yeah. Thank you. Would, can I give you a beer? I'm susceptible to anything. Yeah, you were susceptible. Okay, yeah. I got it. No, it's okay. I got one. Okay. I don't know. So, of those options, honestly, I'm pretty lukewarm on all of them. Is, yeah, is let's, there one let's go with out? Ernest goes to camp. Okay, what was that? Firebirds inside of me? Oh, no, I meant actually. Oh, I can't. Nobody says Ernest goes to camp in this issue. Oh, we can't do it. No, sorry. Fuck. Rules are rules. What were yours again? So blue the sky and certifiable mess. And yours? We had Firebirds in me and the shattered past. I don't know. The problem is all these actually sound too much like... Like they would just be a fine band that I don't care about? Yeah. Which I think is fitting for this comic book. So let's go with the one that sounds like an actual band that we don't care about and is maybe a description of this comic book, Certifiable Mess. Let's do it. Okay. I don't like this band. Yeah, it's a cop-out. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, uh, we're Certifiable Mess, and we didn't really prepare very hard for this, but if we did prepare, we'd probably be pretty good, but we're never going to prepare. And they just launch into it. And then they launch into some long, noodly jams. Wait, you didn't tell me they were a jam band? Too late. Huh. Corey, did you assume that they weren't a jam band? No, I anticipated that they weren't. Well, you did the right thing, but still, <laughs> we're stuck with a jam band. Ah, this logic is tricky. It okay. is. take this party to the bozo what instance of one character calling another character a bozo either literally or metaphorically do you want to highlight well we already covered it a little bit but turns out i guess calling somebody an idiot's not a great de-escalation tactic really uh-huh no you, you, you i learned maybe that today could do uh, some reflective listening instead maybe idiot <laughs> For those of you listening at home, Corey is pantomiming, jerking off as he reflective listens, a technique highly recommended by this show. <laughs> De-escalates things at least as well as calling somebody an idiot. Uh-huh. If it's a really tense situation, you have to use two. <laughs> wow. Uh, how tense would it have to be for you to do the pterodactyl where you use both hands to involve <laughs> your head? That's, a uh, like, real serious. Yeah, no, that's emergency only. Fair enough. <laughs> I just, I'm worried it's not going to come across with just the audio. Yeah, uh, and so the pterodactyl is when you're doing a double jerk-off motion, one with each hand, so it looks a little bit like you're flapping your wings, but also you're bobbing your head back and forth to simulate fellatio. Yep. And it makes you look like a pterodactyl. Yeah, I think that's fair. Never that's look good... at that uh, dinosaur the same. Oh, man. Those guys nasty freaks. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize it. Uh-huh. Yeah, most people don't, actually. No. No, most people don't know that pterodactyls are nasty freaks. That's why lot... they listen to this show, to learn things. Yeah, a lot like of sci- scientists uh-huh. have recently found <laughs> out that uh, pterodactyls, in addition to being covered with uh, brightly colored feathers, not the traditional gray and green that we're used to seeing in our history books about pterodactyls, uh, we're also uh, certifiable nasty freaks. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> so in addition to Louis Bobinoff, what was his name? Nordoff. Louis Nordoff de-escalating the situation by calling Nightwing an idiot. Yep. We also had Nightwing's response to that, which is to say, oh, you're armed? I'm impressed. Real sarcastic-like. Yep, I had that too. I thought that he just says it after he just, like, whapped him in the face. Real bad. Mm-hmm. We also have Beast Boy referring to Danny fucking Chase as Danny the Dweeb. I also had that. And I think perhaps the harshest Bozone moment in this is a kind of double diss on both of the teens who followed in his footsteps as Robin when Tim is describing how difficult the nonsense training he's receiving at the hands of Dick is and says, Whew, I thought this was going to be a snap. Dick responds by saying, Yeah, so did Jason, only he never learned better. Oof. Dang. Snap on the dead kid, Dick. Yeah. Ouch. And also on Tim there. So, uh, yeah, a little double disc going on. Kind of harsh. But, uh, honestly, comic books in general have treated Jason Todd a bit harshly. Well, Corey, I just have one further question I gotta ask you. Waput in the relatively arbitrarily determined year of our Lord 1991 and the month of our Lord March. What was Aqualad probably up to, Corey? Waput. All right. So I know most of these segments have to do with, I don't know, a sporting event or a science thing and a drunken pelican. Right. But this one is just a sporting event with a sober pelican. What? Yeah. Good for Beaky. Yeah, you know, occasionally. He likes to have some good, clean fun. Also, turns out, huge ice hockey fan. Really? Yep. Kind of surprising. I know, weird. But that is why Beaky insisted they go see the Boston Bruins and the Quebec Nordiques play at Boston Garden. And uh, they had a great time and saw a great game unfold. And what was unique about the game was goaltender for the Canadian team I keep wanting to say the name of the guy from the Japanese baseball game, but it's not... Bob Dugnut? It's not Bob Dugnut. Tugnut is the guy's last <laughs> name. Ron Tugnut <laughs> was spectacular. He blocked 70 out of 73 shots. Wow. Setting a record in the NHL at that time. Aqualad and Beaky were so excited after the game, they actually had to wait because members of the Bruins, who were also super impressed by the performance had basically formed a line to go up and congratulate the guy on what an awesome job he did were they just chanting tug nut tug nut you know they were (laughs) you know they were were some of those bruins at the time cam neely and raymond bork yes oh cool i didn't know if they were still with the team then yeah no bork stood out in the research that aqualad did before the game Mm. but uh, i don't know if the neely guy was Oh, Cam Neely was great. He also played for the, uh, previous to that, for the Portland uh, Winterhawks, our minor league hockey team here in Oregon. No kidding. That is the only hockey team I have seen play. Really? You never went to any of the UNH games? I don't think I did. Oh, that was fun. I was just too busy skating on the rink there. 
They're at the Snively the Arena. Snively Arena in the downtime right after the Zamboni. Oh, nice. Nice. Anyway, so yeah, Aqualad waited his turn and went up to congratulate Tugnut. <laughs> offered him a cold Molson and they were sharing a beer. And uh, Were it... either of them at that point, it was after the game, but I know it's still pretty chilly in the arena. Were either of them wearing a toque? I think they were both wearing toques. Thank you for asking. Glad to hear it. Yeah, maybe uh, Beaky had his uh, had a Bruins toque, mm. and uh, and Aqualad was you know being a brave guy and wearing one for the Nordiques, even though he was at Boston Garden. Brave indeed. So yeah, he asked Tugnut, and and Tugnut says, "Hey, it was one of those nights when I was seeing the puck well, and uh, when I didn't see it, I anticipated the shots well." He didn't assume them. No, he anticipated them. Mm-hmm. Important distinction. Indeed. Well done, Ron Tugnut. <laughs> He'd make a heck of a Robin. I would say so. Well, Corey, that may be one thing that Aqualad was up to, but it wasn't the only thing that he was up to. The other thing that Aqualad was up to was babysitting for Bizarro's son. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, Bizarro was out of town, and everyone in the DC universe knows that Aqualad is the most trustworthy of characters. And so, uh, Bizarro asked Aqualad to babysit for his son while Bizarro was off doing something. And so Aqualad was trying to figure out some fun activities for the kid to do. And the kid wanted to let Aqualad know that not only did he love coloring, but he was very good at it. Being a Bizarro, the way he said that was, color me bad. (laughs) Which Aqualad misinterpreted. He thought that this kid would like to listen to the new hit song by Color Me Bad, I Want to Sex You Up. So he went out and he got the uh, New Jack City soundtrack. As one does. Popped it on the CD player, started listening to the song, and uh, was like, oh, oh, these lyrics are not okay. (laughs) He, He listened to some lyrics, which seemed to be what... A person who didn't know what sex was would think was sexy and also came off as very inadvertently creepy. And that is how he came to learn that Beast Boy had ghostwritten the lyrics (laughs) for I Want to Sex You Up, which is why it has lines like, we can do it till we both wake up, implying that at least one of them was asleep, which is not okay. And... Making love until we drown. What? Yeah. These are actual lyrics from I Want to Sex You Up by Color Me Bad. Anyway, uh, Bizarro came home and said, Aqualad, you am doing good job babysitting. <laughs> Me am very happy you make son listen to totally appropriate lyrics for toddler. And... Aqualad didn't quite get what Bizarro was saying, but he did get the impression that he had maybe fucked up a little. Mm. And that is what Aqualad was probably up to in March of 1991. Oh, boy. Yep. Color me bad. I want to sex you up, which is now maybe stuck in my head forever. Should have played uh, Make You Sweat by Inner Circle. (laughs) Should have just played some New Jack Swing. Instead of the soundtrack to New Jack City. Mm. Like, is some nice uh, songs produced by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. That'd be a good time. Well, Corey. Yep. Thank you so much for 
talking a surprisingly long time with me about this nothing of a comic book. You're welcome. No. You're welcome. You handsome devil, you. <laughs> you want to come back next week? Okay. Ha ha! Susceptible. What? In the meantime, if you'd like to get into touch with us, we can be reached at Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon 97294, or, as this is the future, we can be reached electronically. Can you imagine such a thing? At ttwasteland at gmail.com. I'm also up on the internets from time to time, so you can check us out there. But if you can't find us on the internet, there is one more place that you can look, and that is deep inside your heart. Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's hearts this week? After I tidy up, I am going to make sure that any plants that are in there are well hydrated. What uh, sparked you to want to hydrate some plants? Oh, man, my tomatoes this morning looked real sad. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. It's okay. Let's see. I'm going to be listening to Color Me Bad. Yeah, I'm going to be trying to get the song I Want to Sex You Up out of my head. And uh, while I do that, oh, you know what I'm going to be doing? I'm going to be uh, checking out the uh, the new Sandman series on Netflix. I watched the first few episodes of that. Really enjoyed it. Oh, my gosh. That's exciting. Yeah, it's pretty good. Nice. You read those books when you were an uh, angsty teen? Oh, you know it. Yeah. If you would like to help support the show, you can check us out at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get exclusive access to a whole bunch of bonus content just for our donors. There is the podcast What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with the W, because he's a duck, that's the full name of the show. That is the Howard the Duck podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa. There are also a whole bunch of bonus videos about classic comics. Just posted one the other day about an old issue of House of Mystery featuring Dial H for Hero and The Martian Manhunter. I really enjoyed that comic, so I've got a few more issues of that. I think I might do a couple more videos about those books. So you can check those out. You can check the other stuff up there. It's all there as a thank you for donating and making it possible for us to keep doing the show. So thank you so much for that. Corey, if people would like to support the show in a non-financial way, how would you suggest they go about that? Oh, a couple things come to mind. The first one is leaving a review for the show wherever they listen to the show from. Oh. Or just Google how to leave a review. Yeah, watch a YouTube video, learn how to leave a review, mm -hmm. and then... Just follow the instructions. Yep, do whatever that says. Do your own research. You don't have to believe the mainstream media about how to leave reviews. You can find out for yourself, man. Don't be a shirson. That's the singular of sheeple. Ugh. Yeah, so whatever, do that. I don't know. <laughs> the other thing you can do is talk to somebody that you care deeply about about the show. Oh, like, you can, you can earnestly, like, touch their shoulder and look into their eyes. I, I'm doing this right now, you guys. It's freaking me out. Hub. Yeah? Listen to this shit. Will, is, will you stop looking me in the eye and touching my good. shoulder if I do? Yes. Okay, then I'm gonna listen. Yep. Do that. Thank you. Totally you're, effective. He is freaked welcome. out, you guys. <laughs> it does seem like a very effective means of coercion. Do it. So, yeah. Do that. Yep. Well... You got your marching orders. Talk to a person. 
freak them the fuck out by making <laughs> eye contact and touching their shoulder if you have consent to touch them. Yeah, shoulder. yeah, it's got to be cool. You can't just run up to a stranger and grab their shoulder. You you said it was somebody that you cared deeply yeah, about. Yeah, no, you, it's, yeah, it's assumed mm-hmm. that you know that that is okay to it, do. Is it anticipated also or just assumed? I forget which is the good one. Uh, it's the good one of those two. Oh, it's anticipated. Yeah. Because they have anticipated that you will touch their shoulder and look them <laughs> deeply in the eyes mm-hmm. and say whatever it is you got to say. Yeah, whatever is going to freak them out the most. Get them to listen to this show. Yep. Yeah, you want to anticipate, not assume. Yep. Because when you assume, fuck you. That's how it goes. Yeah. yeah. That's the mnemonic device. Mm-hmm. Well. Until next week. Oh, that's so loud in my ear. <laughs> I don't remember what that meant either. We had some special context for that. Did it have something to do with boners? It's one of them did, but I don't think that was the boner one. Okay, good. What makes the boner noise? I think that's just the ups. The... Oh, it is a slide whistle noise. Yeah. It's, it's not like just like a... <laughs> The boner klaxon. See now that's a band. That name. is a band name. Boner klaxon. Yeah, they played the Dick Raven. It was great. Not a dry seat in the house. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Me too. See what I did there? Uh huh. Pretty good. It's like sex in a boat. It's fucking near water. <laughs> oh no! You ever heard that before? No. Oh, uh, that's the way. Uh, like I don't know, shitty uncles describe uh, like beer. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have any shitty uncles. My uncles are all pretty great. I had, I think I had two that were both named Dennis. You had two Uncle Dennises? Married at different points to the same aunt. Really? I might be... She married multiple Dennises. I might be getting that mixed up. I think there was just one Dennis. Did she marry somebody else, too, who yeah. wasn't named Dennis? Yeah, because the other guy, I think, was Buck. Buck and Dennis? Uh-huh. Those are good uncle... Wait. You had an Uncle Buck. <laughs> Are you sure about that? Yeah. Did he make you pancakes with a snow shuffle? No, we didn't hang out. Okay. Hey, Corey. Hmm. Smoke weed every day. Oh, you nailed it. Thank you. Nice.